Alright, so this morning is the second week of our March Madness series. This was a series we designed where you would pick the topics and then we would preach on those and hopefully try to answer some of your questions. And so, uh, of those, the first week was World Religions. We found that out last week. Then today was Predestination and Free Will. Thank you. Alright, so... Um, we, we've titled today, iRobot, question mark. Be, what was that? Did I have a choice? I don't know if I had free will on this one. So, um, did I have a choice? So, but, but here's, here's the deal. R- really quick, we're going to move quick today because we, we have to cover a lot of ground and that kind of thing. And, and the place I want to start, actually, is realizing that there may be some of us in this room that when I use a large word like predestination with multiple syllables, some of you may say, I don't even know what that is, much less whether I have it or not, all right? Like, is it a disease? Did I catch it? You know, um, so, so real quick, I, I want to define our terms for us. We can bring up this first slide on predestination and on free will. And this is very generic. So uh, on that first word, predestination. Uh, How many of you in the room have ever heard of Calvinism? Got a few theologians in the room. And then under free will, uh, the word Arminianism. All right. These are these are basically two theological systems that are often seen as incompatible. And a lot of that roots down into these two ideas up here on the screen. Now, the first predestination is the idea that traditionally Calvinists hold to. Uh, Actually, it wasn't an idea that Calvin unpacked. It goes all the way to Augustine, uh, or, you know, Augustine, rather, back in the 5th century when he sort of unpacked some of these ideas, just kind of found new life with John Calvin. But the idea of predestination is that God chose personally who would be saved in Jesus before the world was ever created. That's the idea of predestined. So the destination of people was, was preset, predecided in the mind of God before God ever made anything. That's the idea behind the word predestination. Now, the idea behind this, this free will concept, which is an Arminian idea in a lot of ways, is that God chose universally that people must choose to believe in Jesus and be saved. And so these two ideas then are sort of juxtaposed to each other and seemingly have been engaged in kind of like the theology octagon now for a long time, right? And here's the good news. For literally, since the Bible was written, these issues have been debated, but this week I cracked the code in 40 hours of study. Very excited about that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I know, you know, I mean, theologians are emailing me and calling me now saying, thank you so much for solving that. Um, You know, I I, I was happy to do it because we at Redemption Church have a secret weapon that nobody else really has except for us as a church, right? And this is very cool. We can bring up this next slide. This is our secret weapon. It's the Redemption Church Theology Yep Ball, all right? We are... (laughs) We are very excited. We keep this under lock and key by Reese's desk. Um, she's the only one that can wield the ball of power. So we have to ask Reese, tell us what the ball of yepness tells us. And uh, we can find out. So we're, we're going to put the, the, the yep ball, the theological yep ball to the test. Here is the first question. Does God predestine us or do we have free will?
<laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So, next question. Next question. Does God choose us or do we choose God? And then since we have the yet ball, last question really quick. You all are going to want to buy a yet ball, I know. But we don't sell them. There's only one. Only Reese can wield it. All right, so... um, yeah, I mean, we look at this, and the answer is, yep. I mean, that's what it is. The answer is, yep. But we want to get to business on this and try to understand this a little bit more. So that is our mission this morning. And the place that I want to start as we dive into this is to acknowledge something very simple, all right? And this is, I mean, we're getting truly right into it. Uh, when we look at predestination and we look at free will, what you need to acknowledge and you need to know is that both are in the Bible. Both are in the Bible. The word predestination as a word is in the Bible. So when somebody says, I don't believe in predestination, which verses are you cutting out while you're at it? You can't say you don't believe in it if it's in there. You can say, I don't like it, or I struggle with it, or I don't understand it, or I'm confused by it. Totally fine. I don't believe in it, then you don't believe in the Bible, all right? It's in there. And if somebody says, I don't believe in free will, well, you can't say, I don't believe in free will. You can say, I don't understand it, I struggle with it, I'm confused by it, but you can't say you don't believe it. Because it's in there. Now, uh, on your slide, you'll notice that free will is in quotes. The reason it is, is because that phrase, free will, you're going to struggle to find that phrase. Uh, It only comes up about six times if you compared seven different Bible versions. And most of the time it comes up, it's related to like a free will offering in the Old Testament. So uh, when we talk about free will, we're talking about an idea that is in the Bible. But if you went looking for, well, I'm going to find every time it says free will, you'll run out of runway really quick. All right. So I say that because just like the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the idea is just like uh, some other ideas are not in the Bible by the way the word is used, but the ideas are in there, so too what we're talking about with free will is in the Bible. So just a really brief survey shows that both of these things are true. In fact, I'm going to start with the idea of predestination. Predestination is in a number of places, but I highlight one area in particular, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So when somebody says, I don't believe in predestination, I don't believe in God choosing before the foundations of the world, you have to cut Ephesians 1 out. Because Ephesians 1 says it. And that doesn't mean we understand fully what that means. It doesn't. We don't know that. We're not that bright. But it says it. And so it's for this kind of idea that theologians then look at a book like the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 48, and it says this. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began to rejoice in glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I didn't write it. 
I didn't write, but I, I don't even understand it. But it's just a truth. I don't know how that plays out. I'm not necessarily called to understand it all. But all I know is what it says. Now, on the flip, there is an equal truth. Free will. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God resides on him. It's like, hey man, you have a choice. Believe life. Don't believe, no life. In fact, elsewhere, in Romans chapter 10, we see the importance of all of this. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a promise. It says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom, whom they have not heard about? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. From that we see the urgency. How will they hear? How will Duval, Woodenville, Redmond, how will Microsoft, how will Cedarcrest, how will wherever? Told, hear, unless we go. Unless we share, unless we're urgent about mission. It's even why, as a church, we've said, we're going to take one of our pastors and commit him just to mission. Because they need to hear. And so, clearly, with that idea, there's this freedom of will. So, we look at the Bible and we see both. Answer being yes. Sometimes, just to jack with us, God puts both in the same verse. Just really to mess with it. Here's a great one. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. I mean, do you see it? It's like God said, before the world ever began, I'm going to send my son. He will be betrayed. That's all predetermined. It's there. And then he says, and you all are to blame. They could be like, wait, but you, your plan... He's like, eh, plan, and you're to blame. Right? And, and, and as soon as we try to like, get into the mind of God and go, oh, I can, I can solve this, it, it becomes precarious. As soon as we become dogmatic on solving this, it becomes precarious. Because what happens uh, is that we lose that both of these ideas are designed to communicate different things about the one true God. Predestination communicates that God is a sovereign king. And free will communicates that God is a righteous judge. And we shouldn't look at that and say, well, how do I override the righteous judge with the sovereign king? How do I override the sovereign king with the righteous judge? It's just silly. It's like, you know what, Reese's peanut butter cups are awesome because they're chocolate and peanut butter. Just love it for what it is. Love it for what it is as opposed to trying to make it do something different or be something different. Because it's not designed to, to really pit these against each other. All right? It's not. What we have is a good old-fashioned antinomy here. Right? And an antinomy. Uh, an antinomy, we have a definition for it. We can bring that up. A contradiction between principles or conclusions that seem equally necessary and reasonable. In other words, a paradox. We have a paradox. Now, let me show you what a paradox is not. Bring up this first picture. Delicious, boneless, spiral ham for Hanukkah. That is not... That is not a paradox. That is Walmart not knowing it's holidays. All right? 
That is a contradiction that is clearly a contradiction. It's why we don't have Walmarts for the most part in Seattle. Um, We know better, all right? So, that is not an antinomy. That is not this idea of paradox where you hold this truth and this truth is equal, though you don't know how to get it. That's just, no, that's a contradiction that doesn't, it's not logical, it's not rooted in truth. But there are other things where it is very logical, rooted in truth, equal, important principles. That's an antinomy. So antinomies, for example, are things like light. Light is a wave, and light is a particle. And physicists look at that and they go, we don't get it, it's just both. Right? Or physicists look at, at like relativity and quantum mechanics, and they go, we don't understand how the physics of the very large and the physics of the very small merge together, but they do. They're just two truths that look opposing, but they're truths. Right? That's how it works. Another favorite example of mine, sweet and sour chicken. All right? It's like, it's just two truths. So sweet, so sour, so confusing, but so good. Right? So, that's it. And the most recent development, Snooky and motherhood. All right? I don't, I don't know. It's just an antinomy. It's just a paradox. Huh? I don't understand. But they're just equal truths. All right? As horrific as that is. All right, so, um, so uh, what we have to do in this, ultimately, is remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. Great passage. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Now, this is after God has told Israel, I have chosen you of all the nations. I chose you, not because you're the biggest, the strongest, the coolest, the smartest, the fastest, and not because you're the most obedient, because you're not. But because I loved you, I chose you. Now Israel can say, we don't understand. Why did you do it? What was the criteria? What was, you know, whatever. And and God says, hey man, that's the secret stuff for me to know. I don't reveal all of that to you. It belongs to Lord God. He says, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So, you know what? We're not leaving this room going, ah, I got it. We're not. We're not going to understand predestination. We're not going to understand free will. I think we're going to have a little bit more clarity on two truths that we don't know how to merge together. And that's really my goal this morning, is to clarify confusion on both fronts. But as soon as we try to go, well, I want to create this one unifying truth out of the two, we will fail because that is in the secret mind of God. Now, what we should do from this Hopefully by the end, it's go, wow, grace is amazing. That's the big idea. That's what we can know. We can celebrate. We can be appreciative. We can worship God. We can, uh, you know, go, man, others need to know about this amazing God and this amazing grace. Because that is revealed. But some things are concealed. And then we're going to get there. We're going to go, ah, just like sweet and sour chicken. Ah, It'll make perfect sense. God will be like the Alton Brown of theology for us, and we'll understand, all right? So, it's going to be glorious. So, with that, uh, like I said, we're not going to understand how they link, but we can clarify what these things mean. And, and I think this is also important because uh, sometimes in, in the debate between the two camps, between the Calvinists and the Arminians, uh, there is often the, 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 the problem of mischaracterization or... Uh, you know, well, they think this or they think that. And, you know, there's, and, and it's not even like with each of those camps that there's a perfectly unified idea behind each camp. But I think there's some things that just get overlooked or missed or not fully appreciated 
by kind of the common Christian populace that requires us to look a little deeper and say, okay, but what is, what is meant? When, when theologians talk about free will, what is meant by, by both sides? And when they talk about predestination, what is, what is meant by that? And more importantly, what is the Bible wanting to communicate on these? Because often what we find is that the Bible's intent to share something with us is to encourage us, and we take that encouragement and we turn it into a philosophical problem. You know, and so that's really the goal of today. Instead of saying, hey, what's the philosophical problem? We want to see how is there encouragement? How is God saying something about himself related to us that we can benefit from and he wants to con- con- encourage us with? So the first place we're going to start is confusion on free will. Confusion on free will. And, and, and as we go there, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think the ultimate confusion that drives it is. A, a lot of times, you know, you have a bunch of college students sitting around, right? Am I moving my hand? That's why you have no friends, right? So, um... And, and, and we get into this real deep thing. And when we get into free will, we start saying, well, you know, free will is central to love. And you can't truly love unless there's freedom of will. Now, I'm not disagreeing with that. But what I'm going to tell you is that when the Bible gets into the idea of freedom of will, it doesn't start with the idea that you need free will to love. That, that's actually not really the starting point of the Bible. See, the starting point of the Bible doesn't start with love as it relates to free will. It actually starts with sin as it relates to free will. That's the starting point, really, in a lot of ways that we have to wrestle with. And so when we think of that word sin, sin is intimately connected to the discussion of free will. It's not casually connected. It's intimately connected from a biblical perspective. And when I say sin, I'm not talking about an accident that was done to us. I'm talking about a decision consciously made by us. Right? Because that's sometimes what we can look at. It. Oh, oh, man, we were all born sinful. It was like we were just caught in this cosmic accident. It's not our fault. Now, here's the deal. Sin is very much our fault. We love to sin. We love the self. We are narcissists. Even if you said, well, it's not fair that you're born sinful. Well, don't worry. You enjoy it. I enjoy it. We all enjoy sin from birth. Screaming sin. We scream out sinful. Our first words are sinful. Our actions are sinful. You watch kids go smack down on each other at the playground. That's how sinful they are. They gossip and backbite. Kids start cheating in kindergarten. They start lying in kindergarten. Did you eat that cookie? Huh? No. Liar! Right? Lie. And all we do is we get more sophisticated at our lies and our cheating and our scoundrel nature and everything. That's just sin. We're sinful. Because we're narcissists. It is ultimately about us. We sit on the throne. That's Isaiah 53. We've all gone our own way. We've all gone our own way. Any other way than God's way is sin. It doesn't matter what that road looks like. It's just sin. Some roads are more sinful looking than others, but they're all sin. Right? So we are consciously sinful. We are rebellious by nature. It's, it's, it's a crime done by us. And so because of that... Our sin nature results in a lack of freedom. 
So when we go down this road of, well, all human beings are born with free will, you got to look at what the Bible says about this. Does the Bible simply communicate, yep, you're all born with free will, or does it communicate that there's something about that will that isn't as free as you think? Because again, if you are enshackled by something, you are not fully free. You're just not fully free. So what do we see? Well, it starts off that our will is sinful because our heart is sinful. Our will is sinful because our heart is sinful. The heart and the will are intimately united. Intimately united, right? And so Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all other things. Who can cure it? Who can know it? Who can rescue it? It's just sinful. Now, I think part of the problem is how we envision the heart. See, we envision the heart like an artichoke, right? And so what we think about this is, well, you know what? Yeah, there's all these little barbs and layers over the heart, but if I can just start to work through the layers, right? I can keep peeling away at the layers. And, and maybe even God can peel away at the layers, and what He's going to find at the center is a soft, meaty heart, And so he's just got to keep peeling to get to that. Because that's really, I have a good heart in there. It's just buried under all of this callousness and sin and everything else. And and that's a great idea, but that's not what the Bible says about the heart. The heart isn't something caked in layers. Right? There is is an image in us that is caked over, but the heart is not necessarily the, the residing place of that image. The heart is something that confronts the image that wars against that image. So we don't have a nice, soft heart underneath a bunch of layers. Our heart isn't like an artichoke. Our heart is like an onion. It makes you stinky, makes people cry. Um, and, and you think, well, you know, if we just started peeling the layers away of an onion, God's going to get to that soft heart, right? How long do you have to peel to get to the heart of an onion? You never get to the heart of an onion. And if I start doing it, I will cry. All right, so. But that's our heart. Our heart is like an onion. It's not about God peeling away at the heart. It's deceitful. In fact, you could say it's incurably sick, this heart. The unsaved heart is incurably sick. So if your heart drives your will, drives your worldview, drives the way you see God and see others, you and I have a problem. Our will is as free as this onion is free. So what does the Bible say about that? Well, it kind of builds on this even more. Let's go down the road. Our will is enslaved. That's the idea of the Bible. All right. Ephesians chapter two, verses one and two. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. I mean, this heart condition is a dead condition. All right, it's dead. And once you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Again, this heart hears a voice and follows it, but it's not the shepherd. It hears the voice of the prince of the power of the air, and, he, and it follows that. Selfishness, sinfulness, self-centeredness doesn't follow God. That's what Paul says. 
In fact, in Titus chapter 3, we just read this a few weeks ago, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves. The unsafe person is a slave, Paul says, to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. You could add to that hating God. Right? The onion heart hates and is foolish because it is enslaved. Paul goes a step further in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. They are unable unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Now we're really getting to it. Is the sinful, fallen, unredeemed heart freed? Well, Paul says you were dead. You listened to Satan. You hated and were hating others. You were enslaved. In fact, so enslaved, you were unable to even pay attention to the gospel, unable to see the glorious light of the good news. That's the problem. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, he says, well then, shall we conclude that the Jews are better than others? Not at all. For we all have shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. No one. So, when we talk about, do human beings have free will? Well, it depends on what you mean. In other words, do we freely sin? Sure. We do exactly what our heart desires to do. And our heart desires to do its own thing. I would say we are as free as an addict. An addict is free. Addict can make decisions in their life, things like that. They have free will. But they do not have the same type of free will as a sober person does. They are driven by the inclinations that they have formed. They, they're driven by desires that they house. That is, in essence, their nature, to do what they want to do. But because of that, they are not nearly as free as the sober person. See, that is our state apart from god so I, I, that's where i go back to the confusion sometimes and i want you to know both groups the calvinists and the arminians affirm this with rare exception on the arminian side they affirm that is our problem so when we go oh no no everybody's born with a free will you're not really you're born with a free will limited and where it's limited is it wants to rebel now you have all kinds of options on how to rebel You can choose religion or no religion. You can be a legalist. You can be licentious. It doesn't matter. It's just still, you're broken. I'm broken. Apart from divine intervention. And that's the big idea. Our will is enslaved. Our will doesn't even see. Until God frees the will. Until God frees the will, right? So I mentioned Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, right? We were dead. We were listening to the prince of the power of the air. We were in rebellion. But, it says in Ephesians 2, 4, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even while we were this... 
says, but God. But God. Even when we were enslaved, it said in Titus 3, we see Titus 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appear, appeared, He saved us. Right? So this is highly valuable to understand what God has to do for us to even pay attention For us to go from enslaved, can't even understand the gospel, being dead, blind, rebellious, hateful, and not wanting, God must literally extract this problem, right? Pull out the onion and make you a peach of a person, all right? So, it's something different altogether, right? Vegetable, vegetable, fruit. I hope an onion's a vegetable. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, something in the dirt. All right, so. But altogether different. He has to extract this. Get rid of it. Implant this. Or you're not even going to see. It's just not going to happen. In fact, this is what Ezekiel chapter 36 is all about, right? It's where God frees the will by replacing the heart, thus illuminating and freeing the will, right? Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. We look at that and go, well, that's got to be the mark of salvation. Well, it's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. In other words, until that happens, until he says, heart gone, new heart in, transplant, not just, hey man, I'm, I'm fine-tuning the heart. Again, not this. This scene is not appealing away at your heart, right? And I'm going to get the heart inside. No, it's not that, right? At all. It's this, dead, sinful, can't seek. I pulled it out, put this in. That's it, right there. In fact, in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, it says, this is by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace. I mean, you see this, he does this regeneration thing, so that. So he must do something first, so that. This is the idea behind it. And so he can put this in, so we can contemplate him. So here's the big idea in all of this. I know it's tough to wrap our minds around, um, but it's frankly, we didn't know what we didn't know until God caused us to know. Right? We just, we didn't know the situation, we didn't know the conditions, uh, we didn't fully know who God was. Why? Because the Bible says we were hating, we couldn't even see it anyway, and we didn't want God. That's all it said. And until the will was shaped, by way of the heart being changed, we wouldn't have looked. In fact, to give an illustration of this, um, I, I think about when I was younger, I, I was way more the artist than the academic, and my high school transcripts prove it. And um, the, 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 the thing I loved to do was I would do a lot of freehand art, right? And, and man, I thought I was really good. I did, until 
I took a class that was like a specialty class, and suddenly, all, all of a sudden, I realized they didn't know what I didn't know. Right? And, and they taught me about ways to shade and do things that so radically transformed my capacity. But it took illumination. And of myself, I thought it was good. I thought it was fine. I had no idea. There was more potential, more option, other ways. But only when I was illuminated did I go, oh, that, wow, I didn't know. I didn't know I was so limited. I thought it was free. Free hand, right? No, I had limited hand until I was illuminated. And then I was truly freed. That's the image we have in all of this. And so, I want to give uh, an illustration. And to do this, uh, let's see. Tucker. I need Tucker. Because you have a cool skull hat on, so it makes you look unsafe. Come here. Um, <laughs> give Tucker a hand as he comes up, because it's going to take him a minute to get here. Sorry about the artichokes, Ryan. All right. All right, Tucker, I need you to stand right over here. All right? You, you look a little thuggish with that cap. All right, so um, you need Jesus. All right, so yeah, you're good right there. All right? Um, and this is, this is your heart right here at this point, right? You, you have this. Well, you don't have to hold it because who holds your own heart? That's like Indiana Jones 2 stuff. That's creepy. All right, so, um, but that's his heart, right? And we go, all right, now, now God needs to get this guy. How's God going to get this guy? How, how is this going to happen, right? Well, God's got a life preserver. All right, so, um, and we go, well, this is how God does this, right? He takes his preserver and he just kind of throws it toward Tucker. Tucker, grab it. Grab No, don't grab it. You don't care. No, don't grab it. Don't grab it. You don't want it. You don't want it. You think you want it, but you don't really want it. And this is the problem because according to all the verses, we actually go, well, he's going to reach out for it. No, according to the verses, I can do this. And he's nothing. He doesn't want it. Right? Because he's unable to see it. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He uh, doesn't seek God because no one seeks God. No, not one. Right? He just, whatever. Why is he throwing that at me? Um, you know? And, but this is the way we kind of think about it. Like, you know, what God does is he just throws the gospel to people. And then by chance, some go, oh, I need that. I should pick that up. But then others go, no, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need that. Why would I want that? So, you know, God's just always doing this. And this is the idea we have. You know, just, it's near you. Come on. <laughs> You're doing a good job of being a fallen man. All right. I hit you that time. No, no, no. Not unless you want to step on it. All right, so... But this is sort of the way we, we look at it. You know, God's casting the gospel to this guy. But again, unless something else has happened, it's just going to be that. It's going to keep constantly hitting him, being near him. And he's going to go, man, Satan's blind in my eyes. I can't see the gospel anyway. I don't see God anyway. Romans 3, I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. Who cares? See, what God literally has to do, and this is where focus on the encouragement, not the philosophical problem. The encouragement is God says, I love him so much. I don't just throw this direction. I ring him with it. Look at that. The sin hat went away. God says, I ring him. And then I pull him toward me. Come toward me. And I take out the bad heart. 
and I put in the good heart. And then from that, I can look at you, but I'm not really God, but pretend I am. All right, and <laughs> say, you, I want you. I have come to this world for you. See, that's the image. That's the image. Don't cry, man. I... <laughs> that's the image of how God works. Now, from that, and give him a hand, by the way. Now, from that, we get all philosophical. Well, wait, does God do that with everybody or only some people? And is that really fair? And boy, that seems very aggressive on the part of God. We're getting so lost in adventures and missing the point when we do that. Because the Bible doesn't communicate all of this, so we go... Oh, is that fair on the part of God? The Bible communicates that to say, this is how far out of the way God goes to save. That's the idea. Because we are radically broken. And unless he super radically intervenes, nobody's getting saved. Nobody. In fact, there's a great passage in John chapter 6 that reminds us that God alone saves from an enslaved will to a truly free will that can then freely believe, that freely can choose. Till then, you're not going to freely choose except to rebel. Now he really opens this up. And in John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. So again, there's the will issue. Right? You've seen me, but you don't believe. But we know a lot of those people, they're not believing because, again, they don't want God anyway. He came to his own, but they preferred the dark to the light. Right? So there's a responsibility they have. And yet you also see the sovereign king working in conjunction with the just judge. He says, but I say that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. However, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So again, Tucker is not coming unless God goes out of his way to lasso, pull in, change heart, put in new heart, so that Tucker can actually see clearly for the first time. So in other words, God is first mover. This is why it says, hey man, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. This is why it says, when we didn't love him, he loved us. Now some of you, I know your little brains are like, how does it fit? How does it fit? How does it fit? Stop! Don't kill yourself. You don't know. I don't know. We don't know. God knows. But we can look at this and go, but praise God. Praise God saves. If left to our will, Ain't nobody getting in. Nobody. So when we talk about free will, we're saying only God can truly free the will. How it works after that? I don't know. I don't know. But God gets the credit. I do know that. Am I responsible in there? Absolutely. But who kicked the ball off? God. Who moved first? God. Who is the great drawer God. Which is why we say it the way we do. Do you feel like God is working in you right now? Do you sense that God is calling you to himself? Do you sense that pull? We say this all the time. 
That's because God used a cheap blow-up ringer and ringed you, right? Pulled you to himself, took out the heart, put in a new heart so you could see him clearly. See, that's the idea. And so that's what we mean by, quote, free will. It's all of that. That's what we mean. And ultimately, that God truly frees the will. Now, the next area was predestination. We're going to be really fast here because I want to. Um, I have predetermined that we will. All right, so there is confusion on this as well, all right? There just is. And the caricature that is painted on this is typically, well, if you believe in predestination, you believe that God only saves some and chooses not to save others. And that's the caricature. And in some ways, in some camps, that would be fair to paint it that way. But that's not really why the Bible even reveals the idea. That's like this, again, this philosophical extrapolation we get into because we're bored or something. I don't know. You know, the Bible uses this description in a completely different way, but, but I think we struggle with it. And, and, and I want to highlight that. And, and to do so, again, I need a couple of volunteers. And so I'm going to use Andy Rath right there. And I saw Dan. Where was... Did I say, Dan, it's good to see you, dude. Get up here so everybody can say hi to you and clap. All right. So, um, yeah, Dan Clausen is back. Amber's back. I mean, there we got Clausen. Come on up here, Andy. All right. So I want, uh, Andy, I want you to stand right here. Bam. Dan, I want you to stand right here. Perfect. Now, I'm all illustrations today, man. So what I have is two... $20 bills. Nice, I know. So I want each of you to put your hand out. Just like that. <laughs> You're both creepy good at that. Um, so, because I have uh, the capacity to pass out money, I come to Andy. Right there, dude. I come to Dan. You guys can take a seat. This side of the room doesn't clap like you got money. All right, whatever. All right, so here is the question. Right now, in your little emotional core, that thing that only you can understand, are you more going, wow, that was awesome that Andy got 20 bucks? Or are you saying, wow, what a drag Dan didn't? I mean, what, what's your inclination? Do you go, wow, the grace that he was shown? And, and did Dan do anything to get 20 bucks? No, he stood there. He's handsome and all. He didn't do it. And he didn't do anything to get 20 bucks. He just stood there. He plays the keyboard and all, but he didn't even play it today. All right. So um, neither of them were doing anything. And I gave 20 to one, but not 20 to another. But this thing in us says, that's not fair. We're bothered by that. Here, here's what we were bothered by. We were bothered probably more by the lack of something to somebody than by the grace given to somebody. That's the human condition problem. We've had that ever since we were little kids, right? Here we go, run into mom. Right? Right? It's what your kids do. It's what you did as a kid. That's what you do at work. They got a raise. It's not fair. I work twice as hard. Right? So all of that, 
We, we get into that. And so this is our problem. We look at this topic and then we go, man, that doesn't seem fair. Now, now part of the problem is I don't even believe that's why the Bible communicates it. It was never designed so that we would go, is this fair? But the other part of this that's so important is to ask the question, is God's salvation fair? The answer is, praise God, no. Is God's salvation fair? The answer is, praise God, no. Go back to what we've learned. There's none that seek God, no, not one. Romans 3, 11. Romans 5, 10. It says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, right? While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Or Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the devil. You did your own thing. You did it your own way. Is it fair that God saves any? Praise God, no. Because if God was in the business of fair, he'd say, go to hell. We're going to talk about fairness. I want you to be perfect. If we're going to talk about fairness, all right, you've got to deliver 100%. But see, salvation isn't about fairness. It's about grace. It's about God saying, you know what? I'm going to dispense my grace on people. Now, we take it to the next place. Well, does he do it to all equally and fair and all? Missing it. Missing it. Even to have those two guys up here. I wasn't trying to use that as the illustration of this is how God does it. He gives 20 to this guy, but not 20 to that guy. My point was to say we struggle more with the guy seemingly getting ripped off than the guy receiving a, a blessing. And yet we shouldn't even look at it that way. We should just be mesmerized that God would show any blessing. We should be overwhelmed that God would save any. Because... We were in rebellion because we were enemies. It wasn't like the day we were saved, we went, uh, you know, I started to rethink this whole thing on my own. No, we were like, nope, I'm done. I don't want you. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to lasso you and I'm going to open up your eyes so you can see the truth of the gospel for the first time. I'm going to take the blinders off that Satan has put on and now you can actually see the real ramifications of the gospel because I love you even though you hate me right now. And we go, what a miracle. What a miracle that God would go out of his way to do that. That's why when it goes through Ephesians chapter 2 and it says, we were sinful, it gets to verse 4, but God again. But God. While we were dead, hating, hated everything, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. When we sing amazing grace, I don't think we know how amazing it is. It's amazing grace. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. No one. It's all by His grace. And when we look at predestination, grace is the essence of predestination. That's all God's wanting to communicate in that. Right? Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 where it all started. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace. 
That's all it's about. Right? Uh, so, in other words, if I try to simplify this, predestination is designed to communicate a handful of things, none of which were really to go, well, does he choose all or only some? Right? I mean, that's, that's not its intent. It's meant to communicate things like God loved you personally in grace. An encouragement, not a discouragement. Not to look around and say, well, does, that, does everybody get that? You got that. That's why it's communicated. He loved you personally. He chose you. If you were ever that kid on the fence playing kickball that was picked last, you know what it means to be picked first. In the sense of you wish that happened to you. And it never did. But God says, I choose you. As soon as we go, well, what about others? Don't you, you're going too far. Because that's not why the Bible is talking about it. It's designed to encourage you. He, he chose you. He picked you. He loved you personally. More than that, it's designed to communicate that God loved you proactively in grace. Even when you didn't want Him, He wanted you. That's pretty cool. Have you ever uh, had uh, somebody that hated you in your life? How excited were you to go after somebody that was currently hating you? To love somebody hating you? To pursue somebody hating you? It's easier just to hate back. And if God did so, He would be just because we were rebellious. But instead, He says, they're rebellious, they're sinful, they hate me, they make idols. They want to be their own God. But I will step in because I will be proactive in my grace. Another thing about this, it means that God loves you preeminently in grace. By preeminent, it means he left a throne and came to this world and took on the form of a servant. He says, you're more important than even my staying here in heaven and being comfortable. Of all the things in the universe, I took all of that and I submitted myself to the will of my Father to save you. What, what the idea behind predestination is, ultimately, is God saved you. You, the individual you. And he did so putting all other things as secondary to that cause. Another thing, God loved you powerfully in grace. God loved you so powerfully, he said, I'm going to take every single sin you ever commit, and I'm going to put it on my son, and my son's going to willingly take every single sin that you ever commit, and I'm going to punish him with all eternal hell for everything that you earned. And then I'm going to give you his righteousness in exchange. That's powerful. And Jesus did it personally for you, powerfully for you, proactively for you, preeminently for you. And all of this, God loved you permanently in grace. What does predestined mean? means your destination is preset. That's how much he cared. That's how much he loved. Beyond that, don't get lost in the philosophical extrapolations. Just don't. Because you're not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. None of us are going to get it. Ultimately, when we look at this, what happens is we become so consumed with wanting to maintain fairness, we forget that we should be overwhelmed by a self-sacrificed, invading grace. That's it. That's it. And so really, what it all comes down to in all of this is it's just by grace. This is why Christianity is the only faith in the world 
that says it's not about how smart you are, how clever you are, how hardworking you are, how obedient you are, how um, committed you are to be saved. We say, God saves. God saves by grace. And you say, well, how? I don't know, how? Where does God leave off? And I begin, I don't care. Because ultimately I know that if God didn't step in at any point, I would not choose him at any point. I would not seek him at any point. But he loves us enough to save us. So right now, I just want you to bow your heads. And as you do, I I, want to speak to the um, potentially curious in this room, those in this room who, who say, man, I feel a pull. Because that's what it comes down to. There's going to be some who don't know Jesus and they go, man, I have never sensed God. I don't feel a pull. I don't anything. I, you know, they're just, it's going to be foreign to them. But to those of us who know Jesus, we know what that pull was that said, you need me. And there might be some in this room today where you sense that you need Jesus. You feel him pulling. You feel that he is doing something with your heart. He's awakened something in you that you haven't seen till now. And you say, I need Jesus. If you sense that pull in your life, that is a prayer away where you say, Jesus, I know you died for me. Jesus, I know you love me personally. Jesus, I know you are drawing me. Your Father's drawing me. I sense that. I I confess my sin. And I receive your gift of salvation through grace. If you made that your prayer, we would love to know about that. After the service, I'll be out in the, in the commons. Uh, you'll see individuals around here with name tags around them that are elders of our church. Talk to them. If a friend brought you, talk to the friend that brought you. Um, but man, um, we would love to know if you made that your prayer. And to the rest of us, man, I, I just give the encouragement that what the big idea behind all of this is, is, as Paul said, I believe the gospel is the power of God to save. You know, all we have to do is just get out there, share the message, preach the word, cast the seed, tell people about the grace of God, right? Because it's God's power to save. Believe it's God's power to save. Don't get caught into how many or how few or did God choose or not choose. Not even for us to worry about. We should be encouraged by the fact that God intervenes. God saves and it's his power. And that's what matters. Jesus, let us be convicted of this, convinced of this, and committed to the reality that we get to go share a great gospel of God saving. We praise you, love you, thank you in your awesome name. Amen.